Chapter 26 of Fantomas by Marcella Lane and Pierre Silvestre. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Alan Winteroud. Fantomas by Marcella Lane and Pierre Silvestre. Translated by Cranston Metcalf. Chapter 26 A Mysterious Crime. Arriving in good time at the little station at Verrières, where he was about to take a train to Paris to keep his appointment at the law courts, the old steward de Long gave his parting instructions to his two children, who had come to see him off. "'I must, of course, call upon Madame de Vibray,' he said, "'and I don't yet know what time Monsieur Fuselier wants to see me at his office. Anyhow, if I don't come back tomorrow, I will the next day without fail. Well, little ones, I'm just off now, so say good-bye and get home as fast as you can. It looks to me as if there was going to be a storm, and I should like to know that you were safe at home.' With heavy creaking of iron wheels and hoarse blowing off of steam from the engine, the Paris train drew into the station. The steward gave a final kiss to his little son and daughter and got into a second-class carriage. In a neighboring village, a clock had just struck three. The storm had been raging since early in the evening, but now it seemed informed with a fresh fury. The rain was lashing down more fiercely, and the wind was blowing harder still, making the slender poplars along the railway line bow and bend before the squalls, and assume the most fantastic shapes, but vaguely shone against the night. The night was inky black. The keenest eye could make out nothing at all distinctly, even at the distance of a few yards. The darkness was so dense as to seem absolutely solid. Nevertheless, along the railway embankment a man was making his way with steady step, seeming not a whit disturbed by the tragic horror of the storm. He was a man of about thirty, rather well-dressed in a large waterproof coat, the collar of which, turned up to his ears, hid the lower part of his face, and a big felt hat with brim turned down, protecting him fairly well from the worst of the weather. The man fought his way against the wind, which drove into his overcoat with such force that sometimes it almost stopped his progress, and he trod the stony track without paying heed to the sorry plight into which it would most surely put the thin boots he was wearing. "'Awful weather,' he growled. "'I don't remember such a shocking night for years. "'Wind, rain, every conceivable thing. "'But I mustn't grumble, "'for the total absence of moon "'will be uncommonly useful for my purpose.' "'A flash of lightning streaked the horizon, "'and the man stopped and looked quickly about him. "'I can't be far from the place,' he thought, "'and again went on his way. "'Presently he heaved a sigh of relief. "'Here I am at last.' At this spot, the line was completely enclosed between two high slopes, or ran at the bottom of a deep cutting. It's better here, the man said to himself. The wind passes well above my head, and the cutting gives good shelter. He stopped and carefully deposited on the ground a rather bulky bundle he had been carrying under his arm. Then he began to pace up and down, stamping his feet in an effort to keep warm. It has just struck three, he muttered. From the timetable, I can't expect anything for another ten minutes. Well, better too soon than too late. He contemplated the bundle which he had laid down a few minutes before. It's heavier than I thought, and deucedly in the way, but it was absolutely necessary to bring it, and down here in this cutting there is nothing for me to be anxious about. The grass is thick so I can run, and the line is so straight that I shall see the lights of the train a long way off. A thin smile curled his lips. Who would have thought, when I was in America, that I should ever find it so useful to have learnt how to jump a train? 
A dull sound in the distance caught his ear. In a second he had sprung to his bundle, picked it up, and choosing a spot on the ballast, crouched down listening. At the place where he stood, the line ran up a steep acclivity. It was from the lower end of this that the noise he had heard proceeded, and now was growing louder, almost deafening. It was the heavy regular puffing of a powerful engine coming up a steep gradient under full steam. No mistake, my star is with me, the man muttered, and as the train approached, he stretched his muscles, and taking a firmer grip of his bundle, he bent forward in the stooping attitude that runners take when about to start off in a race. With a heavy roar, and enveloped in clouds of steam, the train came up to where he was, traveling slowly because of the steep gradient, certainly less than twenty miles an hour. The moment the engine had passed him, the man started off, lithe as a cat, and ran at the top of his speed. The train, of course, gained upon him. The tender, luggage vans, and third-class carriages passed him, and a second-class carriage was just coming up with him. The pace alone would have deprived almost anyone else of power and thought, but this man was evidently a first-rate athlete. For the moment he caught sight of the second-class carriage, he took his decision. With a tremendous effort, he caught hold of the handrail and sprang upon the footboard, where with extraordinary skill he contrived to remain. Reaching the summit of the slope, the train gathered speed, and with an even louder roar began its headlong journey through the darkness and the storm, which seemed to increase in intensity with every passing minute. For a few seconds the man hung on where he was. Then, when he had regained his breath, he got on to the upper step and listened at the door of the corridor at which he found himself. No one there, he muttered. Besides, everyone will be asleep. And chancing everything, he rose up, opened the door, and stepped into the second-class carriage with a grunt of relief. Making no attempt to conceal himself, he walked boldly into the lavatory and washed his face that was blackened with the smoke from outside, and then, in the most leisurely, natural way possible, he came out of the lavatory and walked along the corridor, soliloquizing aloud, manifestly not minding whether he were overheard. It's positively maddening. No one can sleep with traveling companions like that. As he spoke, he went along the corridor, rapidly glancing into every compartment. In one, three men were asleep, obviously unaware that anyone was surveying them from outside. The door of the compartment was ajar, and the stranger noiselessly stepped within. The fourth corner was unoccupied, and here the man took his seat, laying his bundle down beside him and feigning sleep. He waited motionless for a good quarter of an hour, until he was quite satisfied that his companions were really sleeping soundly. Then he slid his hand into the bundle by his side, seemed to be doing something inside it, then withdrew his hand noiselessly, stepped out of the compartment, and carefully closed the door. In the corridor he drew a sigh of relieved satisfaction and took a cigar from his pocket. Everything is going splendidly, he said to himself. I was cursing this awful storm just now, but it is wonderfully useful to me. On such a night as this, no one would dream of opening the windows. He strolled up and down, holding on to the handrail with one hand to maintain himself against the rocking of the train, and every now and then taking out his watch with the other to see the time. I haven't too much time, he muttered. I shall have to be quick, or my friend will miss his train. He smiled as if amused at the idea, and then holding his cigar away from him so as not to inhale the smoke, he drew several deep breaths. There is a faint smell, he said, but you would have to be told of it to detect it. The devil of it is that it so often causes nightmare. That would be awful. He suspended his patrol and listened again. 
there was no sound to be heard from within the compartments except the snoring of a few travelers and the monotonous rhythmical noise of the wheels passing over the joints of the rails. Come, I've waited twenty minutes. It would be risky to wait longer. Let's get to work. He stepped briskly back into the compartment, and furtively glancing into the corridor to make sure that no one was there, he went across to the opposite window and opened it wide. He put his head out into the air for a minute or two, and then turned to examine his traveling companions. All three were still sound asleep. The man gave vent to a dry chuckle. He drew his bundle towards him, felt until he found something within it, and flung it back onto the seat. Then he walked up to the man opposite, slipped his hand inside his coat, and abstracted a pocketbook, and began to examine the papers it contained. Ah, he exclaimed suddenly, that was what I was afraid of. And taking one of the papers, he put it inside his own pocketbook, chose one from his own, and put it into the other man's pocketbook, and then having effected the exchange, replaced the man's property and chuckled again. You do sleep. And indeed, although the pickpocket took no particular precaution, the man continued to sleep soundly, as did the other two men in the compartment. The thief looked once more at his watch. Time. He leaned out of the open window and slipped back the safety catch. Then he opened the door quite wide, took the sleeping traveler by the shoulders and picked him up from the seat, and with all his strength sent him rolling out onto the line. The next moment he seized from the rack the light articles that evidently belonged to his victim and threw them out after him. When he had finished his ghastly work, he rubbed his hands in satisfaction. Good, he said, and closing the door again, but leaving the window open, he left the compartment, not troubling to pick up his belongings, and walked along the corridors to another second-class compartment toward the front of the train in which he calmly installed himself. Luck has been with me, he muttered, as he stretched himself out on the seat. Everything has gone off well. No one has seen me, and those two fools who might have upset my plans will wake up quite naturally when they begin to feel the cold, and they will attribute the headache they will probably feel to their tiring journey. A train, traveling in the opposite direction, suddenly roared past the window and made him jump. He started up and smiled. Gad, I said my friend would miss his train, but he'll catch it in another five minutes. In another five minutes, luggage and body and the entire caboodle will be mincemeat. And as if completely reassured by the idea, he chuckled again. Nothing could have gone better. I can have a rest, and in an hour's time I shall be at Juvisy, where, thanks to my forethought, I shall be able to whitewash myself, literally. One thing, however, still seemed to worry him. He did not know exactly where on the line he had thrown his unhappy victim, but he had an idea that the train had run through a small station shortly afterwards. If that was so, the body might be found sooner than he would have liked. He tried to dismiss the notion from his mind, but he caught sight of the telegraph posts speeding past the windows, and he shook his fist at them malignantly. That is the only thing that can harm me now, he muttered. Juvisy, Juvisy, wait here two minutes. It was barely half past six, and the porters hurried along the train, calling out the name of the station and rousing sleepy travelers from their dreams. A man jumped nimbly out of a second-class carriage and walked toward the exit from the station, holding out his ticket. Season, he said, and passed out quickly. Good idea, that season ticket, he said to himself. Much less dangerous than an ordinary ticket, which the police could have traced. He walked briskly towards the subway, crossed the main road, and took a side turning that led down towards the Seine. 
Taking no notice of the mud, the man went into a field and hid himself in a little thicket on the river bank. He looked carefully all around him to make sure he was unobserved, then took off his overcoat, jacket, and trousers, and drawing a bundle from one of the pockets of the large waterproof, proceeded to dress himself anew. As soon as he was dressed, he spread the waterproof out on the ground, folded up in it the clothes and hat he had previously been wearing, added a number of heavy stones, and tied the whole bundle up with a piece of string. He swung it once or twice at the full length of his arm, and sent it hurtling right into the middle of the river, where it sank at once. A few minutes later, a bricklayer in his working clothes presented himself at the Juvisy booking office. A workman's ticket to Paris, please, missus, he said, and having got it, the man went on to the departure platform. It would have been risky to use my own ticket, he muttered. This return ticket will put them off the scent, and with a smile he waited for the train that would take him to Paris. The slow train from Lucon was drawing near its Paris terminus, and the travelers were all making hasty toilettes and tidying themselves up after their long night's journey. Just, however, as it was approaching the goods station, it slowed down and stopped. The passengers, surprised, put their heads out of the windows to ascertain the reason for the unexpected delay, hazarding various conjectures, but unanimous in their vituperation of the company. Three men were walking slowly along the line, looking carefully at every door. Two were porters, and they were manifesting the most respectful attention to everything the third man said. He was a grave individual, very correctly attired. "'Look there, sir!' one of the porters exclaimed. "'There is a door where the safety catch has either been undone or not fastened. "'That is the only one on the train.' "'That is so,' said the gentleman. "'And grasping the handle, he opened the door of the compartment and got in. Two travelers were busy strapping up their bags, "'and they turned round in simultaneous surprise. "'You'll pardon me, gentlemen, when you know who I am,' said the intruder. "'And throwing open his coat, he showed his tricolor scarf. I have to make inquiry relative to a dead body that has been found on the line near Britannia. It probably fell from this train, and perhaps from this compartment, for I have just observed that the safety catch is not fastened. Where did you get into the train? The two passengers looked at one another in astonishment. What a dreadful thing, one of them exclaimed. Why, sir, tonight, while my friend here and I were asleep, one of our fellow travelers did disappear. I made a remark about it but this gentleman very reasonably pointed out that he must have got out at some station while we were asleep. The official was keenly interested. What was this passenger like? Oh, quite easily recognized, sir. A man of about sixty, rather stout, and wearing whiskers. That tallies with the description. Might he have been a butler or a steward? That is exactly what he looked like. Then that must be the man whose body has been found upon the line but I do not know whether it is to be regarded as a case of suicide or of murder, for some hand baggage has been picked up as well. A suicide would not have thrown his luggage out, and a thief would not have wanted to get rid of it. The passenger who had not yet spoken broke in. You are wrong, sir. At any rate, all his luggage was not thrown onto the line, and he pointed to the bundle left upon the seat. I thought that belonged to the gentleman here, but he has just told me it isn't his. The official rapidly unfastened the straps and started back. Hello? A bottle of liquid carbonic acid? Now what does that mean? He looked at it. Did this bundle belong to the man who disappeared? The two passengers shook their heads. I don't think so, one of them said. I should certainly have noticed that scotch rug, but I did not see it. 
Then there was a fourth passenger in this compartment, the official inquired. No, we are traveling alone, said one of the men, but the other dissented. It is very odd, and I am not sure about it, but I really am wondering whether someone did not get into our compartment last night while we were asleep. I have a vague impression that someone did, but I can't be sure. Do try to remember, sir, the official urged him. It is of the very highest importance. But the passenger shook his shoulders doubtfully. No, I really can't say anything definite, and besides, I have a shocking headache. The official was silent for a minute or two. In my opinion, gentlemen, you have been uncommonly lucky to escape murder yourselves. I do not quite understand yet how the murder was done, but I incline to think it proves almost incredible daring. However, he stopped and put his head out of the window. You can send the train on now, he called to the porter, and resumed. However, I must ask you to accompany me to the station master's office and give me your names and addresses, and to help me afterwards in the conduct of the legal investigation. The two travelers looked at one another in distressed surprise. It is really appalling, said one of them. You're not safe anywhere nowadays. You really aren't, the other agreed. Such a number of awful murders and crimes are being perpetrated every day that you would think not one, but a dozen Fantomases were at work. End of chapter 26 Recording by Alan Winteroud BoomCoach.blogspot.com